for leading us so well this morning. Hey, before we jump into the message today, uh, I've got a gift for you. If you're watching uh, from home or in your car, or, I don't know, maybe you're on your way to the mountains or the beach somewhere. Uh, if you are watching for the first time today, uh, I've got a gift for you. I would love to make this available to you. Uh, it's called the Everyday with Jesus Bible. And uh, it's a Bible that contains a short devotion at the end of each reading, but it will actually lead you through a process for a year to read through uh, the Bible. And so if you're watching from home and you would like this gift, uh, just give a, give a thumbs up emoji uh, in, the, in the comment box there and let us know. And we'll follow up with you uh, after the service and get this to you. And if you're here in the room today for the first time, or maybe you say, you know, I need a Bible. Uh, I would love to connect with you after the service and make this available to you uh, as well. Uh, today is a, um, it's an interesting day. It's a significant day for the life of, in the life of our church. Uh, even if uh, there wasn't a calendar component to today that made today interesting, uh, today is significant in the fact that it was one year ago today uh, that was the last time that we met as a church family in a, uh, what I would just sort of term as a pre-COVID church. Uh, it was one year ago today that we gathered uh, with no restrictions. You know, we didn't exactly know where this thing was going to go, and we were planning to take the following Sunday off anyway because it was spring break, and I believe we were going to have a serve Sunday that day. And I had even, just to, just to try to make people aware because we had been getting some, you know, news reports, and we were trying to kind of understand this thing. It even printed up some signs, and we put them in the bathrooms that said, you know, share Jesus, not the coronavirus, wash your hands. You know, we were just, we were just trying to understand this thing, and, and then it happened, and the church had to respond. And, you know, there's been over the course of uh, the last year, uh, I got to confess to you, uh, there's been a lot of, for me, as a pastor of a small church in a global pandemic, uh, there's been a lot of what ifs, man. There's just been a lot of what ifs. A lot of what ifs that sound like this. Um, what, if, what if people were to leave our church family uh, over fill-in-the-blank decision that we made? What if people um, uh, were to think poorly of us because we chose to open too soon? Or what if people chose to think poorly of us because we made the decision to not open soon enough? There's been the, the, the what if for me is, you know, what if, what if we make the wrong decision about X, Y, and Z decisions and it puts people at risk and it results in people getting sick? And then there's been a lot of what ifs for me of what if people have needs in our church family? What if people have needs in our community and we haven't done an adequate job enough of making sure people know that we're there for them and there are needs that we could meet and we just don't know about them and they go unmet? Uh, maybe over the last year in your life, you've had a lot of what ifs as well. Uh, personal, uh, maybe they've been related to your job, maybe they've been related to your finances, maybe they've been related to your family's health or some extended family's health, whatever that may be. But for me over the last year, and, and this is me taking my, my, my you know, pastor hat off and setting it to the side and just saying this is Jason, the, the one who is very imperfect, trying to follow Jesus as best as I know how. A scripture has been what has sustained me over the last year. 
And as it relates to the church and, and, and pastoring and leading and shepherding this church, uh, there has been one passage of Scripture in particular that has been a comfort for me. Uh, it has been a passage of Scripture that has held my fears uh, and my what-ifs in check time and time again. And I have a feeling that in the future it will probably be a passage of Scripture that I have to come back to and revisit. Uh, what's interesting about this passage is it's not even a, a whole verse of Scripture. It's not even a section of Scripture. It's actually five words. And these five words have had so much truth and so much power and so much sustaining ability into my heart that I, I thought today that it would be appropriate for us as, as a church on, on today that is Commitment Sunday for our capital campaign. It, it kind of marks a one-year sort of season that we have been in as a church uh, it would be a really good reminder for us to go back to uh, this, this truth for our lives. And those five words contained in this passage of Scripture have simply been this. I will build my church. That's it. I will build my church. And I cannot tell you how many times over the last year... And shame on me for not returning to this time and time again over the last, you know, ever how many years. Um, but I cannot tell you how many times over the last year I've returned to this passage of Scripture, returned to this thought or returned to this truth. I will build my church. You see, a year ago, everything changed for the, how the local expression of the church was going to operate for a season but everything changed in the life of humanity the day that Jesus uttered those words and said, I will build my church. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to walk us through these five words. And there's, man, there's so much around this. We could, we could, we could talk about the fact that, that Jesus gave Peter, a, a, called him a different name, and, and that Peter's name uh, means, you know, little stone. And the word that Jesus uses in this text when he says rock means, like, essentially big stone. And so there's a difference there. And, and what exactly did Jesus mean when he, when he said, you know, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail? I mean, we could look at all of that. But at the middle of this passage are these five words that truly matter for us as followers of Jesus and truly matter for us in this time and place as a church. How do we build the future of the church for the future of the church? It begins with the right foundation of the church. And so uh, this morning to try to help you remember this uh, for the future, you know, in, in, in times maybe of trouble and heartache and worry and what ifs, I want to break this text down this morning into three P's, because we can all remember three P's, I bet. And the first one is this. Jesus says these words, I will. And that is the promise for us. It's the promise. Jesus said, I will. And Jesus always keeps his promises, time and time again. Jesus always keeps his promise. The psalmist knew this. Psalm 33 verse 4 says this, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. These two words that Jesus utters in the middle of this text, I will. He spun this promise off into motion. 
Jesus promises this, and he is committed to this promise. This promise tells us that this work is ongoing. It was ongoing 2,000 years ago. It was ongoing 1,000 years ago. It was ongoing 500 years ago. This promise of I will was ongoing 100 years ago. It was ongoing 50 years ago, five years ago, one year ago, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus said, I will. And I'll have to be honest with you, and, and, and this is just kind of peeking behind the curtain a little bit into the, the heart of a, of a pastor. Uh, there is always this tension uh, in, 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 in pastoring and shepherding a church. There's always this tension of um, trusting God, kind of this idea of, 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 of leaning into his promises and, 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 and what he has, has asked us to do and step into obedience. And then just kind of the idea of like putting your hand on the plow and just going to work. Just getting up early, staying up late sometimes, going through seasons where it's just, it's just hard work. There's always, it's like a rubber band. There's always that tension, that pull. And over the last year especially, I have had to remind myself who the I in the I will really is. Because it's been easy for me to hold the mirror up and to say, well, I will. I will. I'll build my church. I'll build this church through a global pandemic. I'll build this church to transition to a life. I mean, time and time again, I've had to come back. No, 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 no. No. I will build my church. So his promise of I will leads us to the process. You see, the word build there points us to the process of this promise that Jesus spins off into motion. This teaches us a few things about the heart of Jesus. That Jesus in this, you know, building of, of this, the kingdom of God, building the church, that Jesus is the financer, he's the general contractor, he's the architect, he's the foreman over this project. He is going to build. He's given us that promise and he's given us the process. And here's what that means is that if Jesus is these things and he's going to be the one to build it, it means that Jesus gets to be the one to determine its expressions, its shapes, and its sizes. Jesus is the one with this promise through the process that gets to set the agenda for the church. And Paul knew this. Apostle Paul, he knew this. He, he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus I've referenced them quite a bit over the last year because um, they were a, a socially, there was, there was just a lot of tension there. They were conflicted. Um, Paul cared deeply about this church, and, and so he, he wrote a, a pretty impassioned letter to them. And, and he's trying to help them. Uh, Paul, time and time again, is not so much worried about changing culture around. He's, he's trying to help followers of Jesus live faithfully within the culture that they've been assigned to live in. And so here in, towards the end of this letter in, in Ephesians, he, he's writing about how these, this is basically it's just the idea of household codes. And he's trying to help every group of people within a house understand how to, how to live properly in their context. 
And right in the center of it all, Jesus, uh, Paul frames up these household codes with this idea. This, this letter that would, would maybe go from house church to house church to house church in the community. He says this, Ephesians 5, 23 and 24, Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And then he says, now as the church submits to Christ. See, Jesus is the one that's in charge of this process. And yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a tension there. There's a rubber band there of, of how much do, do, do we have to get involved and go to work and how much do we trust the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and all of this. But, but Jesus is the one who is building his church. He is the head, the top, central to, and we submit to him. And this building has been built on a foundation, and that foundation is Jesus, the gospel and love. And here's what's amazing about this process, is that it's continual. It, it's never going to end until one day when, the, when, 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 when heaven comes to earth and the kingdom of God comes to this glorious completion and all things are made right and all things are made new, the process of building the church will continue. And if you want some good news, and we're not going to get into it today, but, but, but Jesus points to something in this text. He says the, the gates of Hades are not going to prevail. The, the worst imaginable thing that you could think would, could and would happen, that's not even going to prevail. We have the, the promise and we have the process. We ask the question, so, so what is Jesus building in all of this. Well, Jesus tells us he's gonna build my church. This is, this is the possession. If you're taking notes, that's the third P, the possession. And I love this part because, you know, we would all say, yeah, my, my church is Grace Hill Church. That's my church family. That's where I go to worship. Uh, it's where I, I serve. It's, it's, you know, one day we'll, we'll be back in, you know, uh, 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 life groups with one another. And, and all of the, the things we can't, we can't wait to happen here in the near future. But, but this is ultimately Jesus' church. He says, I will build my church and it's personal to Jesus. This is, this is personal to him. Look around. Literally, I want you to, right now in the room here to look around. Sorry at home, you're missing this part, but I want you to look around. This is the church that belongs to Jesus. He says, I will build my church. Now, it's interesting, this is the first time in the New Testament that we have recorded this word, church. And I love the fact that, you know, the gospel writers, uh, through the Holy Spirit, recorded the words of Jesus. It's interesting because we have very much put a very religious bent on the word church. But in the first century, the word church that's used here, the ecclesia, was not a religious word. Jesus is redeeming a word in, in some sense here in the culture. You see, the, the word ecclesia in the culture in the first century was, was kind of a bland word. I mean, this is what it meant. It, it meant community, group, 
or called out ones. Jesus says, I'm building my community. I'm building my group. I'm building my called out ones. This is personal to Jesus. And it's personal because Jesus isn't building a building, although we've talked about the fact that our building, we're so thankful for it. It's a ministry tool. We use it to reach people and care for people and serve our communities. All that's important. But Jesus isn't just building a, a, a building, a location. He's building a church of people. And the apostle Peter knows this. He writes this in, in 1 Peter 2. He says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter uses the word here, living stones. Not limestone, not granite, living, moving, breathing stones because the church is that jesus is building is is not just a a structure it's not brick and mortar it's not it's not security systems and fire alarms and led lights and it that's not what it is we're thankful for what we have but but that's not what jesus is trying to build jesus is building a people he's building you He's building your spouse. He's building your neighbor. He's building your children to be the church. And, and I gotta be honest, and this was really, can we just be real for a few minutes? Is that cool? Just kind of let me just kind of talk for a minute. We, we, I tell you what was revealed in, in American society a year ago was how much we've conflated those two, how much we've misunderstood. And that, that is not, let me say it this way, that is not a failure of people following Jesus. That is a failure of our discipleship systems in America. That, that when it became Oh, we can't meet the certain way that we in America have decided is the right way to meet. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I'm building my church, though. Yeah, I mean, I love how we get together, and I love the songs that we sing, and I love the technology that we get to use, and I love the, the fact that we come together, and we see each other, and we sing, and we worship do we really think that that threatens the mission of Jesus when we can't gather physically the way that we might want to express that gathering? Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. Mask or no mask. Global pandemic or not. Why? Because the church is a living, breathing, moving group of people, and we lost sight of that. And it was exposed to us all over America. Let me give you an interesting fact. That Jesus isn't just building this thing here in the suburban south. This is a global endeavor of Jesus. 
Listen to these stats by Pew Research that was done just a couple of years ago. There are 1.9 billion people who claim to follow Jesus internationally minus the United States. 1.9 billion people who claim to follow Christ outside of the United States. Do you know what the number is in the United States? 246 million. Another way to say it is this, is that in the global church, the United States is a drop in the bucket of the way that Jesus is building his church. And we lose sight of that. And we lost sight of it last year. That this promise to build, it is personal for Jesus. And he's building it all over the world. The majority of the Christians in the world do not live in the United States. He says, I will build my church. And if Jesus is building it, and if we look out and there's over 2 billion Christians worldwide, 1.9 billion outside the United States, and 246 million within the United States who claim Christ, it means this. That Jesus is not only building it, but he's building it differently in different places with different people that have different expressions of how they gather, how they serve, how they love, and how they express themselves as the church. And I am so thankful that Jesus does not have a one-size-fits-all for his church we tend to do that in the United States. You know, we kind of have this box and it's this thing and you got to be this way and, and, and believe these things and act a certain way and not act a certain way and whatever. And then you can fit in. And Jesus says, no, this is an international family. I'm building my church. And I'm the head of that church. I'm the architect. I'm the financer. I'm the general contractor on my church. One commentator he made this statement about this text, about this phrase in the text. He says this, what is striking is the boldness of Jesus' description of it as my community, my church, my gathering, my people. People like you, people like me, people like your neighbor, people like everyone sitting in this room and people like everyone watching from home. And if Jesus is building this and, it, and it's, it, it's expressing itself in so many varieties of, of ways around the world, it means there's room in the church for you. It means there's, there's room in the church for your neighbor. It means there's room in the church for people from different ethnicities. It means there's room in the church for, for, for people with, with different backgrounds. It means there's, there's room in the church for people who have baggage that you don't have. And there's room in the church for people who are carrying wounds and burdens and anxiety of things that you don't carry. Because it's not me building my church and it's not you building your church. It's Jesus building his church church.
And it means that Jesus is building his church with you and through you. So what happens when the next crisis or political season happens? What happens when it's the next pandemic or some other economic thing that happens down the road? What happens when cancel culture comes for the church? Which, as a side note, I'd like to remind you all who are old enough that the church invented the cancel culture back in the 90s. In some ways, we're kind of sleeping in the bed we created. Because we came after Disney, we came after JCPenney, we came after Target, we came after Starbucks because of cups. We even came after Teletubbies. What happens? What happens then? I will build my church. He will do it because Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus is building this church through you. Another passage of scripture that's really sustained me through um, the last several years is this text in Ephesians 3. It's our text that kind of hangs over our For the Future campaign this, this time. And it says this, now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. In us, the power that works in us. Jesus is working through you and in you to build his church, the gathering, the called out ones, the ecclesia of people. And the humbling thing, here's, here's the humbling thing about all of this. Is Jesus has invited us into this. Jesus has invited us in to be a part of building this church. But here's the thing. The promise is not contingent on our participation. Jesus will build his church with or without us. But we, in his grace and his mercy, are invited into the process, into that promise and into his glorious possession called the church. And God is building his church through you, through people in this community and all over the world. I want you to hear a story before we move into a commitment time this morning. I want you to hear a story of a family in our church, it's Brad and Lindsay Harmon. And uh, Lindsay actually reached out to me back in December and she wanted to share a little bit about what the Lord was doing in their life and teaching them about generosity and their finances and giving. And we were discussing that and, and I asked them, I can't remember if it was that phone call or maybe it was a week or two later, but I called them back and I said, would, would you share a little bit of this with our church? Because I think the, the church needs to hear what the Lord is doing in and through other people and, and, and how God is, is using them, other people, each of you to build his church and what he's doing along in that way. So I want you to, uh, I want you to watch this video and, and let's learn from them. Let's hear their story and let's learn from them as it relates to uh, what the Lord's been teaching them and their generosity and their finances.
Um, I, I started giving basically right out of uh, college um, when I started making my my own money. Granted, it wasn't a lot, but it was it was my money. It wasn't my parents' money for the first time. And it was always, I felt like it was a responsibility that I was just, it, it was ingrained that I needed, I needed to give. So it, I didn't, it wasn't overly consistent all the time, but I, but I did try to give. And then gradually as I was able to, to kind of grow in, in my industry and everything, I was able to be more consistent. With it. Yeah, mine, um, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, your parents would pass you the dollar or whatever that you got to put in the plate. And so for as long as I can remember, there was that aspect of it. But and then when I started working, like he was saying, with my own money, I remember when we started dating and had the conversations. But then as when we got married, um, we started doing it as a couple, um, which, you know, that evolved. There were some conversations there and and it was kind of a, a, a an amount that we knew we, we could do. It was just, we just kind of picked it knowing we could do it. Um, it wasn't really challenging at that point. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't a lot to it. It was just kind of a, you know, this is a pretty comfortable number and we'll, and then, um, as we, this is probably funny, but as we started, um, jointly filing taxes and realizing what our income looked like together, we took steps to kind of grow that because we realized we weren't doing enough. It was what was, we thought we felt like we were doing it. So it was enough, but, um, when we really saw the numbers, we felt like we needed to, to change that. So then we started making conscious decisions to look at it more actively and kind of evolve from there and increase it as it was needed. So the first thing I would say is to pray about it. God speaks to us and it's going to look different for different people. You know, whether that looks like a dollar a month, a dollar a day, whatever it is, if that's a thousand dollars a month, whatever the amount is for you in this moment, just start. You know, I would, I would say that if if you're asking the question and, and you're wanting to know about it, that, that God's maybe already spoken to you a little bit already. And and then additionally, I was like, you, you know, look, turn the, turn, put the mirror on yourself. What are you, what are you, what are you, what are you spending some money? You know, mm-hmm. uh, toys are, Toys are fun, you know. Um, do I need the NFL package? Do I need the whole NFL package this season? I don't know. Maybe not. You know, I mean, that's you know, fifteen hundred dollars a month, something like that. Doing, I don't know. Um, I, I would say though, to to look at just what what do you really need? You know, people need to give themselves a little bit of grace. Um, I think that you know. There have been times in our lives where we have been able to do over and above, and there have been times in our lives where we've had to cut it off completely. Life is crazy and messy and intense, and sometimes, you know, there are ebbs and flows. And if we give ourselves the grace in the moments that we need them, but then in turn, in the moments where we're blessed, we just pour out. You know, there's a balance to that. And then the last thing I would say is um, talk to people you trust. Um, have those conversations, um, talk to people that are older than you, talk to people that are younger than you, talk to people in the church, because, um, that's a big thing that's um, been impactful for me is, you know, um, hearing people's experiences, hearing how God's been faithful. Um, and then sometimes you just got to know, you're just going to have to take a leap. I mean, I have, I have literally had aha moments where I'm like, wow, like we gave 
and I was worried about something happening and then that didn't happen. And I fully believe it's because we were faithful in our giving. And, you know, it, it just, there, there have been those moments. Um, I think the bigger moments for me, the more impactful moments for me have been, um, where kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum, where if we haven't been as diligent in our giving, um, I see changes or potentially changes in myself that I don't always like. Um, I can see that, you know, I have more of a reliance on money or I can see where I start to want things that I maybe didn't want in times where we would have been more faithful or growing more in our tithing. Um, and so I feel like that's just as big of a part of it for, you know, just us as Christians and, you know, members of the church and just being the hands and feet, like, you know, yes, when you tithe, you, you help, you know, you grow the church, you grow its people, you grow the community, but when you tithe, you also grow yourself. And so when you slow that down or you're not doing maybe what God is asking of you, or you're not stretching yourself, um, I do feel like in my life, I've seen it's kind of been exemplified in areas that I didn't always like. And um, I think that the only way to adjust that was to adjust, you know, it to the opposite, where instead of it coming in, it needed to go out. You know, we feel like we have been so blessed, you know, and, and it, it was not always easy. When we first got married, it was a very different story for us. I mean, we were like penny to penny, paycheck to paycheck. We were, you know, it was just different. And now... It's still that way, but in the sense of we have the ability to grow and evolve in our tithing, both because, yes, we've been blessed in our careers, but also because our thought process on it has changed. The more you give, the more I give, the more we give, the more we have realized our capacity to give. This is one of the many ways, expressions of how God uses you to grow and to build his church. Jesus gives us the promise, I will. Jesus gives us the process he's gonna build. And it is a personal possession to Christ, his church. And so what we want to do now is we did this, you know, almost two years ago, but we, we want to have a time of commitment where we just pause for a moment. And I pray that many of you have been reflecting and thinking on this last week about what commitment you're going to make to the For the Future campaign to partner with Christ in this endeavor to build this local expression of the body of Jesus, the church. And so what we want to do is we just want to give uh, everybody just a few moments. And this morning there was an email that went out as well as a text. All of our commitment time is going to be done online uh, just so we can all do this together. And if what I would ask is that if you've got your electronic device with you and you've got that link, you can go to gracehill901.com slash for the future. And... Um, it's a short little form there that you can fill out that just simply says, this is, this is what I'm going to commit to give. And it could be a, a monthly gift. It could be a weekly gift. It might be a one-time gift. But I want to encourage you, we're just going to take the next minute, 
let you have that time between you and the Lord and, and what the Lord may be asking you to do. And, 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 it, and I understand not, not everybody can make a commitment today, but still use this time to process and pray, Lord, what, what would you have me do? What would you have our family do? And what we, might we be able to see accomplished through you using your people, this, the, the power that works in people in your church? So let's just take a minute. I just want you to just kind of sit, silence. Jeff and Hannah are just going to kind of play some music for us just for a moment, and then they're going to lead us in a song in a second. But just take a minute. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me do? Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church, or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter. You matter.